Good evening. It's time for Necromaniacs Podcast. And uh, we got um, a, a special celebration this week because uh, Mike's birthday is coming up. Happy birthday, Mike. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I hit the big 4-8 on July 22nd. And uh, I guess by the time this airs, it'll be a little past that. So tonight is our little celebratory uh, birthday edition of uh, Necromaniacs Podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. Oh, my pleasure, man. I was a summer baby. I'm sure it was brutally hot back then, the night uh, the night or day I was conceived. I'm one of those people who's not, like, I don't know what time I was born. Like, I, I don't know. I'd have to, like, look at the birth certificate that I do have somewhere. But I'm just not one of those people who knows the time they were born. I, I actually know the time I was born because my birthday is on June 6th. And uh, so, uh, I, but I was born at like 4 a.m. in the morning. So, so you're a devil baby. That, that's a lot. <laughs> almost. Sex. I was almost. almost, almost the antichrist. Oh, wow. Damn. <laughs> Unbelievable. June yeah. 6th. That's a cool birthday. I share, like a, I share a birthday with uh, Tom Araya of Slayer. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. That's, that's one of my, that's one of my, my favorite singers, you know, in the metal genre. I love Tom Araya. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely, man. So, just want to say a little something. I want to, I want to thank the listeners, man. We've we've been getting a lot of love lately, and our 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 Henry Portrait Serial Killer podcast did very well, and our Sleepaway Camp uh, episode has done extremely well. And uh, thank you all, right, Mike? Yeah, thanks, guys. It's uh, you know we have a lot of fun doing this, and I'm glad you guys are also enjoying yourselves listening to these episodes. Yeah, man, been, been been a lot of cool lately, and uh, a lot of cool, you know, feedback. I'm sorry, cool feedback lately, um, and we do really appreciate it. And uh, just want to get a, a few quick plugs out of the way before we roll on. Want to say what's up and a shout out to, of course, the Break the Apocalypse podcast, who plug us every week, and because of that, they will get a plug in return. That's how these things work, Mike. Yeah, exactly, man. You know, you got you got the fam. You got to like shout out the fam. You know, got to shout out the fam. Exactly. And uh, also, listeners, um, July twenty third, twenty twenty one. My band, The Last Stand, has a new EP out on all digital platforms. Uh, it's a split EP with our buddies One Choice from California. It's called From the East Coast to the West Coast. A little love for Warzone and Agnostic Front in the title there. And yeah, by the time you guys hear this, the EP should be out. So please check that out. What's going on with Tombs? Anything, Mike? Uh, no, uh, we are actually not going to be going on tour uh, this fall. Oh, um, really? Yeah, it's uh, a little crazy as far as uh, everyone's trying to like book the same ve- the same cities and the same venues, Ooh. and so we're gonna, we're going to hold off till next year. Oh wow, that sucks. Any any shows like local shows, like one or two offs, or uh, trying to figure that out right now. That's cool. Well, yeah, you know what? I, I almost figured that something like this would happen, like like the floodgates would open. You know? Yeah, you know there there's some fake news out there that we're <laughs> supposed to be playing a show at St. Vitus with uh this like like big bill of like mm. other bands, but it's fake news, man. <laughs> it's like I don't know. I, I woke up one morning and I saw it on Instagram, and hmm. and uh, so I was like, I don't know. I hope they fix that. You know, 
That's all I have, that's all I have Michael, to say. We're not, we're not buying that, Joe. <laughs> nah, nah, I never even, no one even contacted me about it. So that's the way it is. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll be excited when you guys get back out there and, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm just looking forward to more live music. I actually, I bought a ticket to uh, see the hardcore band Turnstile play in August at uh, Irving Plaza. I really like that band. Um, but that's literally, now that I think about it, the only ticket, advanced ticket I've bought so far. Hmm. I've purchased two advanced tickets and I'm about to purchase the third, actually. Uh, Deicide's okay. playing up in uh, Clifton, New Jersey. Ah, yeah, at Dingbats. I'm gonna go check that out. Um, I bought tickets for Ministry down in Philadelphia. Ministry helmet and helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, just today, I bought tickets for uh, Bambara playing out in Ridgewood, um, someplace called TVI. Okay, I need to really check that band out. I know you've sung their praises. I I, I briefly checked them out on YouTube. I wanna wanna listen to them a bit more. Um, the DSI, DSI is playing Brooklyn and I am, I, that's, I kind of forgot. I need to get a ticket for that. I do want to go to that. So where yeah. are they, where are they playing out in Brooklyn? <sighs> Not the Kings. They're playing the place that the Kingsland guys booked the Monarch, this Monarch. new place that it literally opened weeks before the pandemic hit and closed and is now reopening. Yeah. Interesting, man. I, you know, I, and as the time goes on, I think that uh, our booking operations are probably going to be dealing more with those guys. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, you know, man. They, they booked us there once at the Kingsland, and those guys are pretty cool. So, Yeah, I know those guys, good people over there. But um, aside from that, as, uh, as we do on our podcast, uh, we like to let everybody know what we've been listening to or reading or checking out. Well, actually, uh, there's uh, there's like a news item here. It's pretty important. Uh, oh, okay. Go for it, Mike. Yeah. Now, are you familiar with the Mahoning Drive-In? It is so funny that you're talking about this because on Break the Apocalypse, they also talked about this, but I'm going to let you roll. I had not heard of it till very recently. Well, I just learned about it, and, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of like embarrassed that I didn't find out about this thing until now and I, I think the fact that I'm living a little bit closer to Pennsylvania kind of brought mm -hmm. it more to my awareness and um, it's it's 70 it's been in operation for 72 years it's out in wow. Lehigh Lehighton Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and um, you know they they host they primarily show like genre films it's all 35 yeah. millimeter you know I know a lot of people that have gone there and they've had a great time you can camp out it's like just totally the most awesome thing, apparently. And recently, <clears throat> there was a, uh, a wind farm company that was looking to purchase the land that the Mahoning Drive-In was, uh, was, was operating on. And there was a couple of day period where it, the possibility of the land being sold was on the yep. table. Mm -hmm. But due to fan support and the involvement of uh, you know, a bunch of people like Joe Bob Briggs, they decided not to buy the land and the owner wow. of that land sold it to the Mahoning drive-in people. Awesome. Yeah. It's like uh, a case of the good guys winning, you know, that is great. Now I heard that I heard that they've shown some wild shit that they've shown like Stalo. They've shown like, 
you know, Serbian film. Like, we got to go to this fucking place, dude. Yeah, definitely, man. It's uh, like, like I said, you know, some of my, some of my friends out here have gone. Um, and they're just like, oh man, it's, you got to go. It's got, it's right up your alley. You know, you, it's just a good time. You hang out. They start the movies whenever it gets dark. It's mm. like a really cool, like atmosphere. Like you know, good, good people show up and check this thing out. You know, so I'm all for it, man. Cool. Yeah, I mentioned a few weeks back. You know that I had gone to the the uh, that place in uh, you know almost upstate New York, uh, Hyde Park. I saw Conjuring Three and Caddyshack, and hell, I. I I'll see it about traveling a little further to see like, you know, something like this where they do like, I heard they've done like trauma festivals and they just, they do really interesting shit over there. So yeah, I, I just heard about this. Well, the, the Joe Bob Briggs uh, drive-in barbecue event is coming up there. I mean, it's, it's been sold out for months, but it's like a three-day oh, three festival. Awesome. You know, they're showing <laughs> a bunch. Of course, they don't announce the shows just like on his show on uh, mm. They just you show up, you know, it's going to be some crazy shit. He's going to do his, um, you know, his uh, commentary from the stage. You oh, know, wow. There's a barbecue. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And unfortunately, for me at least, unfortunately, and you, it's sold out. You can't go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know what? It, it's, I'm glad to hear that it's, it's survived. And apparently the one I went to has been around a long time. I don't know if it's been around that long, but wow, that, that's really cool. That might have been one of the only good things to come out of the pandemic is the resurgence of the drive-in. Yeah, last year in the summer of 2020, uh, they were doing like gangbusters business. Since things are a little back to normal uh, summer 2021, I imagine they're doing pretty good, maybe not as good. But I do know that a lot more people apparently are just going. So, you know, any business thrown that way in uh, something that old and classic to me is a good thing. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely into trying that out, man. You know, for sure. I haven't been to a drive-in since I was a little kid. Totally, totally. But uh, yeah, check it out, people. Um, so as far as the whole listening, reading, watching thing, I completed my Once Upon a Time in Hollywood book, and I have to say it was, it was a joy to read. It was very cool. Glad I picked it up. <laughs> And uh, it's funny, at the end of it, they tease that there's going to be yet another book of it that's going to be like more like photos, like unseen photos from the movie. Oh, wow. And apparently more material. So being the fanboy that I am, I will pick up the second uh, version of, of the book, of course. And another funny thing they did at the very back of the book, they did ads for like the Serpico novelization book and like some other kind of 70s things. Like they made it very like authentic, you know, to buying a novelization from back in the day. So I thought that was funny. Yeah, that's like, uh, it's, it'd be awesome if that brought back that whole thing, man. Cause that was like huge, like back, back in might. the 70s, you know, mm -hmm. the novelizations. I would need to check and see how, how it did or how it's doing the book. I think it did very well. Honestly, Mike, I was reading it on the train uh, the other day, and I looked up, and the guy in front of me was reading it. So <laughs> that's, any, that's actually a very good indication that it probably is doing well. I should pick up a copy of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now I – what am I reading now? I, I actually – uh, and diving back into the Sandman 
mm-hmm. my streaming graphic novels. I'm almost, I almost have a complete set of every single issue. I don't want to touch the issues, but I have volumes one through five in graphic novel, and I'm about to jump back into those. Great stuff. Yeah, I, I um, I'm thinking about rereading the Sandman stuff. I, I only have the first trade paperback and a bunch of. I have a lot of the series, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're they're already kind of spiking up with you know ramping up for the Netflix show. I mean, you know, especially like the first ten issues, so they're all going for some bucks, obviously. What else, what about what else you, you got? Oh, for, as far as reading goes, I actually read With Teeth, the Brian Keene book that you recommended. Oh, you read it? See, I, it's on my it's on my to read. Uh, tell me about it. Tell well, us about it. it. You know, it's only uh, hundred and like twenty nine pages long, so you can read it in like you know probably like a day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I showed up in the mail along with um, another uh, collection of short stories called Whispers, which. Uh, has was like a curated series of books, and um, one of my favorite weird fiction writers, Carl Edward, Carl Edward Wagner, has a story mm-hmm. in that one called Sticks, which <laughs> apparently Nick Pizzolatto, when he was writing the first season of uh, True Detective, borrowed a lot of the um, sort of imagery oh. and some of the ideas from that book. Nice, but uh, but yeah, with teeth, it's a it's it's a novella with two short stories tagged on at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. Vampire story. It's got that that very uh, straightforward Brian Keene style, you know, mm-hmm. like very matter of fact, very to the point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it takes place like out in West Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of d- dips into that kind of redneck culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like a very very small story. It, it takes place in the, over the course of an evening. And um, yeah, I don't want to give too much away. Okay, cool. cool. But, uh, has, it's, a, it's an interesting take on vampires, um, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, like Appalachian style. And mm. the, two, the two stories that are the two other shorter stories, it, it all they all exist kind of in the same universe too. So that's mm. they're related. You'll see that there's a thread connecting all three stories. Cool. He does that a lot. Yeah. Um, that's you know uh, he has his larger universe where he connects almost everything he's done almost i mean there's there's offshoot stuff that he says specifically no this does not have to do with the you know uh this and that but yeah i like that he does that i think that's really cool well it makes sense you know he's a comic book fan he's written a lot of comics and you know that's kind of the way things go yeah yeah he has his uh his defenders podcast i mean you know the motherfucker is a comic guy when he has an entire it's been going on for years. Podcast devoted to the Defenders series from Marvel Comics. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a deep dive for a lot of people, you know. Yeah, right. I mean, they, not an Avengers podcast. <laughs> not even a West Coast Avengers. The Defender. Mm. <laughs> Didn't they make a Defenders movie, or wasn't it? Was there? They're like a plan to do that, or like I, 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 I think, think so. I, mean, I tell you, I would, I would watch the hell out of that. I would check that out. I'm getting a bit of Marvel burnout. Like I haven't watched Loki. I didn't watch Falcon and Winter Soldier. I just don't care. Like I just, I'm, I really burned out on Marvel for some reason. Um, but I would, I would, you throw the Defenders at me. I'll check that out. <laughs> I, I got a couple more episodes left in Loki. Um, I heard it's great though. Is yeah. it great? Yeah, it's I love great, it, man. I think it's. I like all their shit. Actually, I have to finish that, 
And then I also, I want to check out the uh, Black Widow movie too, obviously. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I will just do the Loki because, I, I mean, it's kind of almost like unanimously, you know, that I'm hearing that it's awesome. So that's a good thing. And it sets up uh, other stuff apparently too. Mm. So it's important to the narrative. Awesome. Um, tonight, friends, um, uncomfortable films, Mike. There are <laughs> uncomfortable movies, controversial movies, movies from the 70s. And we here at Necromaniacs, well, I think we do a decent job at covering movies that are a little off the beaten path, a little different. Um, and when I saw that this movie was coming to uh, Shudder a few weeks back, I had actually immediately texted both uh, Mike Hill and Jeff, uh, Necromaniacs, and said, you guys need to see this movie. And it's a movie that I actually might have even thought that they had seen back in the day because it is from 1976. Um, but it's a movie that I would see a lot on TV in probably a bit of a, a truncated form that always kind of stuck with me and I always thought it was creepy and, and weird. But watching it as, as a, you know, a fully form-fledged adult for the first time in a very long time, I will say that this is, is quite a film, and we are talking about The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane, starring Jodie Foster and Martin Sheen. Right, Mike? That's the one. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen this since I was a young a young man or a boy, actually. And, um, you know, there was Channel 5, Channel 9, and Channel 11 that would show yep. these types of movies. And, mm -hmm. and I remember seeing this on television and being very, um, it's like a, a very specific type of creeped out that I experienced watching this movie that was similar to the movie The Other. Mm. You know, like, yeah. like it had to do with like like kids and and menacing violence and stuff like that and, and kids being put in danger and that kind of thing. Totally. Now, what was lost on me as a kid completely okay while seeing this movie was the fact that martin sheen was a pedophile okay i just i mean again that's how young i think i was when i saw this movie i probably didn't even know what that word meant okay the the big takeaways like the visual takeaways from my childhood of seeing this movie were of the the gerbil which we'll get into were of the the mask like the costume that uh, is worn by actor uh, Scott Jacoby, uh, Mario, the character Mario in the movie. Um, and also the very end of the movie, which does the classic 70s stay on the actor's face for several minutes. This movie stays on Jodie Farce's face very creepily for three full minutes before, you know, the end of the film. I don't know if you actually caught that. Oh no, I I fully recognize that as a, <laughs> as a technique that they did in the seventies yeah. for sure. Yeah, such a cool technique. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's in uh, Race with the Devil, right? Like it's in a bunch of the movies we've covered recently. As a matter of fact, it's even in Sleepaway Camp. It stays on Angela's face for several minutes, which I didn't even remember back in the day. I, I got to be honest, man. I think Mario's character, like the that that the magician outfit he was wearing, when mm -hmm. I was when I was a young kid, kind of scared me. 
Yeah, there was, again, seeing these movies as, as young kids on, on television, like, you know, the edited versions, you know, the set, these were what I refer to as Saturday afternoon movies. And you just have these little glimpses in your head. As you get older, you probably lose a little bit of your memory, but you keep certain things in your head. And aside from the things I mentioned, actually, one other thing I mentioned was the fact that I was like, wow, Jodie Foster has a whole house to herself. <laughs> like She lives alone. Where are her parents? Like, you know, like it was just I felt like it was about, you know, a, a child who was able to do whatever the hell she wanted. She was going to the stores and going to the bank and just, you know, living this free life. Again, not knowing, okay, it's because, again, spoiler alert, her dad is dead and she killed her mother, okay? These things are lost on me as a young kid. It's just one of these weird-ass movies I would see on TV. And now you see it as an adult, you watch it from front to back, and you have 800 takeaways, Mike, you know? Definitely, you know, and... uh yeah, that was the thing, man, for as a kid growing, you know, when I was young seeing this movie. It was this movie, the other, and that movie Bad Ronald. You know that movie? Mm, yes. I need to actually see Bad Ronald. Um I've I've never seen it front to back. I, I you know, that's that is a TV movie that is up there as apparently one of the creepiest TV movies ever. But what the biggest theme in those three films is like being a kid and being in danger or having no parents. And that freaked me out like so, so hard when I was a kid, mm. you know, it, it sort of played on that fear that you have. Like when you're, when you're young, like when you're like a little kid, you're just like so dependent on like your family and your parents and all this other stuff, you know? Right now it's funny. This movie has a lot of themes and a lot of fucked up things in it. Uh, aside from, you know, there's pedophilia, potential animal abuse. Um, but uh, apparently, in, in the modern sense, writers and academics have uh, interpreted parts of this movie about children's rights, which is, which is kind of interesting because, of, you know, uh, getting a, a little ahead here, um, this girl is living home alone. The father has died. Uh, of a disease and we'll get into exactly what happened to him in a minute. The mother is gone, but according to the wishes of the father, this was how she was supposed to live. She was supposed to be living alone in the house uh, with the money and the checking account. And it's just really kind of weird and interesting. Like imagine this happening today. It's mind blowing, right? Yeah, it is, you know, and I didn't pick up on any of that stuff, you know, and, and <laughs> like when I was like young and or and even this no. time around, I just thought like, well, this is kind of like an exploitation film in some ways, you know. And look, people, it kind of is an it is an exploitation film, but I think it's it's kind of a smart, smarter one. Like it's not, you know, it, it has a lot of troubling themes but I think it's very well written and a well-made movie. And in, in 1997, they actually turned it into a, a stage play. Did you, did you read about that, Mike? It actually, I, I did. And, and yeah. it, it's yeah. once again, it's one of these dialogue heavy, like films that I, that I like. And, uh, it makes sense that it's, uh, it became a play. I could totally see this as a play. Yeah. But, uh, this originally was a novel, um, by Laird Koenig. Uh, the novel came out in 1974 
Uh, the movie came out in 76, shot in 75, a French-Canadian film. Um, and then uh, Laird Koenig managed to, to get it uh, onto the stage. Uh, that would probably have been really fucking interesting, huh? It would have. You know, I wonder where a fucking play like this would play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, like where, what kind of venue would, like theater would, would have this type of play? Um, listeners, Doyle may be a part of tonight's podcast. He's very vocal tonight. I think, uh, I think he's a Jody Foster fan. So he's just, <laughs> he's just kind of chiming in. Uh, please, uh, please take no offense. I'm sure we have some cat lovers out there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess some things kind of lend themselves to being plays, and I definitely think this screenplay would for sure. The other thing that, as a kid, the specter of uh, pedophilia. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't, like, when I was younger and I saw this, I didn't, uh, I didn't really understand that Martin Sheen's character was interested in in uh jodie foster's character uh rin that way mm. you know i just thought he's like one of these uh, he's being mean to her he wants to hurt her you know but yeah he's one of the only adults in the movie there's there's not a lot of people in this movie there's not a lot of adults in the movie um again it's just but when you watch it now man it is it's within minutes right like the it just kind of just starts and it's Halloween night, and it happens to be Jodie Foster's birthday. She's home alone in the house celebrating, and boom, Martin Sheen is at the door, and it's on. And I thought that was a really interesting way to start a movie, Mike. He does a great job with his uh, crazy uh, Martin Sheen eyes that he has. <laughs> you know how he has that those crazy intense eyes that Martin Sheen has. Now this is nineteen. 19- you know, seventy-five, seventy-six. Martin Sheen is a very young man. Uh, our listeners are used to seeing him as an old man. He, he he literally to me looks like a, a combo of Emilio Estevez and Martin Sheen. I mean, not Martin Sheen and um, Charlie Sheen. Like in this way, like he looks like you know his sons in a way to me because he has this like full head of hair and it's like he just it's just weird. Like it's kind of very creepy. Yeah, my my uh, quintessential remembrances of uh, Martin Sheen is um, as Charles Starkweather in. Uh, Badlands, yes. and then Badlands. as uh, mm-hmm. as Captain Willard in Apocalypse Now. That's right. That's right. Now this this is right after kind of Badlands. So and, yeah, and before Apocalypse Now. So and that before Apocalypse Now. So exactly. that place is uh, Martin Sheen was probably like twenty four at the time he made this film. Like that's how young yeah. he was. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, we'll just do a, a little bit, you know, more about the the actual movie, and you know, a little uh, kickoff. A little girl lives down the lane is 1976 cross genre film. Now they're saying cross genre film because look to me, it's to me, this is a horror film in my opinion. Okay. But it's also a dark drama and it's also a thriller psychological thriller. It's, it it is kind of a hybrid movie. Would you say that Mike? Yeah, but honestly, I would it to me it's a horror film. It's like yeah, a, non, yeah. a non supernatural horror film. Totally, totally. Uh, directed by Nicholas Gessner, starring uh, Jodie Foster, Martin Sheen, Alexis Smith, Mort Schumann, and Scott Jacoby. That's the cast. Five people, Mike. Um, you know, and uh, <laughs> interesting to note, uh, Mort Schumann, who plays a uh, police officer in the film. 
um, is is actually a, a, a famous uh, music guy who, uh, before this movie, wrote some stuff for Elvis. He wrote Viva Las Vegas. He wrote Marie's The Name, his latest flame, which is a really good Elvis song. And he wrote uh, Save the Last Dance for Me, uh, Turn Me Loose, and Teenager in Love. I know all of those songs, Mike. Do you know those songs? Yeah, of course, man. Those are all yeah. uh, you know hits from uh, an age gone by, shall we say? Yes, from our our parents, uh, <laughs> our parents' era. Let's just say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and he's he went to Lincoln High School, South Brooklyn, Lincoln guy. Um, but yeah, very small cast. Like I said, is a co-production of Canada and France, and is based upon the novel written by Laird Cohen. I did my, of course, eBay search for the novel, which I, I would like to read. So uh, I, I, I have my eye on a couple of copies of the novel, which, you know, I'm a novelizations guy, Michael. That's my thing. I like yeah. to read them. <laughs> uh, plot focuses on 13-year-old Rin Jacobs, played by Jodie Foster, a child whose absent poet father and secretive behaviors, behaviors prod the suspicions of her very conservative small town Maine neighbors. Uh, yeah, the movie takes place in Maine, despite the fact that it was shot in Canada. Of course, that happened all the time. Uh, it was originally intended as a play, and it was shot in Quebec on an extremely small budget. Uh, the production later became the subject of controversy over reports that Foster had conflicts with the producers over the filming and inclusion of a nude scene. But a 21-year-old body double was used. Uh, listeners, it is as blatant as anything that is a, that a body double is used in this scene. Uh, after screening at the 1976 Cannes Film Festival, a court challenge was launched regarding distribution and general release of the movie in 1977. That's pretty interesting. That's that's when looking at you know, after watching it again. Now that I'm an adult. That's where I see the movie as being like an exploitation style film because honestly, the the nude scene wasn't really necessary. You know what I mean? No. Um, before that scene, in my head, I'm watching the movie. There's a scene where Jodie Foster and the character Mario, who is older than her, but I am not exactly sure how much older than her. It doesn't matter. She's 13. To me, he's about a 16, 17-year-old guy. He's in high school, okay? And he mentioned school. There's a scene where I'm on the couch, and I think they talk about sex, and then the scene cuts. And I almost thought that that was, like, that was the implied sex scene. You know what scene I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And then and then it's like, there, there's... um. That would have been enough. That would like, that, that got the that point across. Hundred percent mm -hmm. got the point across. Across, but then, yeah. but then, like you see, young thirteen-year-old Jodie Foster going to take off her clothes. I'm like, whoa, 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 oh, we don't need to see that. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, thankfully, they cut to an obviously full-grown woman <laughs> like, mm. who's, and and it's not really like a like she's not. You don't see her. You know, you just see like, her, her ass. Yeah, no, yeah. You see, you see her the naked back, back. Her bare back. Right. You see yeah. her bare back, and it looks like the bare back of a grown-ass woman. Yeah. She gets into bed. There's a very odd camera trick, Mike, with the bed and her, and then Jody, and then it's Jody Foster in the bed, 
the bed looks like it's like super small. You know what I'm talking like there's they do this weird thing yeah. with the box double getting into the bed and then uh Scott Jacoby and Jody Foster are clearly in the bed. And then, you know, and then the scene kind of cuts. It didn't need that. No. You know? And, and like the body double is like mad like tan. And yeah. Jody Foster's like pale <laughs> as a glass of milk, man. And I'm just like they're obviously two different people, you know. Uh, apparently, Jodie Foster's then 21-year-old sister, Connie, is the uncredited body double for that scene. How about that? Fascinating, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an un... I was, like, wondering, I'm like, who, who is this woman, man? Because, you know, like, obviously, for all these years, we thought Angie Dickinson was naked and, uh, and uh, viewed... Uh, what the hell is the, the movie we covered with her in it? Uh, the, the American Giallo that she played in. Yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I mean, that it, movie. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> now, here's the thing. Look, dress, the 70, dress to kill. Dress to kill. That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. to kill. Right. <laughs> now, look, as we've said many times before, the 70s were a different time. Movies, it was kind of the Wild West where anything goes. However, some of the reviews of this movie did call that scene out. Uh, I just And I'm just mentioning it now because we're on the subject of it now. Um Writer Anthony Sinat did say that it was a part of the a trend of sexualizing children in film, um, and they were, you know, calling her the, the murderous nymphette, uh, and it compared her character to Jodie Foster's Iris character in Taxi Driver, which these two movies came out the same year, uh, but she filmed this one first, and it is interesting to see she looks way older by the time they filmed Taxi Driver, Mike, you know? Well, you know, I mean, I don't know if you remember being 12 and 13 years old, but you, you're you're changing constantly right, during exactly. that part of your life, you know? Completely, completely. Um, so it wasn't, you know, uh, it, it wasn't about titillation for everybody, obviously. And, and I, to me, it, it's not, yes, it is like an uncomfortable, unnecessary sex scene, but it's not like, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it was designed for titillation. It just. I think it just was a thing where it's like she's very mature and she. I don't know. I, I just. I just feel like it was unnecessary, and the director. I don't know what his motives were. You know what I'm saying? I mean, well, I guess he did it as best as he could. I don't know. I, I was gonna, I was gonna see what you thought about just that, like the director. Like, did do you <laughs> think that on his, like for him, he's like, all right, we, you know, we got this scene. You know, Jody, I need you to be naked in this scene. Like, is that? Do you think originally yeah, the the direction I mean, was like we're gonna have a naked thirteen year old girl in this movie? But Mike, uh, Natasha Kinski, what naked? Underage in movies. So again, man, Jesus, product of the fucking crazy times of back then, you know? Maybe the director was like, okay, uh, Miss Foster, yeah, we, we do want you fucking nude for this. And she was like, are you out of your mind? And I'm sure <laughs> her mother, I believe her mother was around back then. Yeah. And like, you're out of your fucking mind. And, and, you know, and they got the older sister in there. Yeah. That, wow. that's, that's the thing I kind of like, like the overall vibe of this movie. You know what I mean? It, it almost is like this weird, like um, the, the the gaze of the film is kind of uh, a little pedophilic, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. Now, again, um, 
it wasn't so much the director, apparently. It was the producers of the film uh, that wanted something like this in the movie. And Foster walked off the set at 13 years of, old, of age. And her older sister did it. Her mother was there. Her mother suggested the older sister do it. And the older sister was 21 at the time. And she was fine with it. Wow. Well, I mean, as far as nude scenes goes, if you're if you're like a you know a full grown woman, it's not the most uh, you know it's not the worst nude scene. You know what I mean? No, it's basically a bare back scene walking in, into a bed. Like it's kind of you know it's it's not right exactly. Way too much for thirteen though. Obviously. Yeah, you're you're not you're not. Uh, you're, it gets into that that zone of being victimizing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the movie, look, the movie already has plenty of meat on it, you know? It has plenty of fucking, like, weird, sketchy shit going on. <laughs> this yeah. was the, kind of the last thing, right, it needed. <laughs> well, the thing that, the thing is the Martin Sheen's character, like, when I was a kid, I was, like, didn't really understand, like, the sex for, the sex drive of him to be with Joe yeah. Foster, you know what I mean? Like, like I, did, I didn't understand, like, yeah. what mm -hmm. he would want to do with this kid. And then, so in my young mind, I was, I had a hard time processing that. And then when he was at, at there's a scene at the end where he's like, well, I'm going to be coming over here a lot. And I'm like, oh, is he going to try to, like, be her father or something like that? But now, as an adult man, it's way darker. I'm like, oh, my God, this dude's, like, setting it setting up shop at this uh you know young girls alone yeah. in this house and i just i was like oh my oh man like very yeah. like just dark you know yeah the end is is wild i mean you know it, like what he his, his his plans to do are and the things he says and he he does touch her and i don't know how the fuck they filmed that uh there is a scene where he he grabs her chest and again people it is an uncomfortable film, um, but we again we think it is a good film. I think it's 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 definitely up there in top seventies horror. Mike, would you, would you say? I think it is actually. Yeah, I mean the fact that it has all the sketchy stuff in it doesn't stop me from saying this is a good movie. I mean, you know, we'll we'll get into mm -hmm. that later, but but hey, it challenges you, man. It's like not everything, you know, I'm probably preaching to the choir right now, but it's like right. you're not you're not going to like everything you see. Things are going to make you <laughs> uncomfortable. You're going to be offended by stuff. You know, things are going to maybe scare you a little bit. Things are going to give you like thoughts. But, you know, I'd rather I'd rather deal with stuff that's uh thought-provoking and make my own decisions rather than like, you know, oh, well, someone's going to think I'm this or that and like have them tell me what I should like, you know? Mm. Like I still think it's a powerful movie, man. That's all I can say it about it. It's a powerful really. movie. I mean, it's, it's a movie that could never get remade today probably, um, but it's, it's, you know, it packs a punch and Jodie Foster is fucking amazing. In it. Uh, she wore a wig in this movie, Mike. Her hair was really short at the time. And the uh, director put a wig on her to have the long blonde hair. And, and it's funny, I didn't realize it as I was watching it, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, okay. It, it Maybe it doesn't look very real. Yeah, it looks, like a, it looks kind of wiggish, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, get into the overall plot. It is, it is Halloween night in Wells Harbor, Maine. Rin Jacobs, Jerry Foster, is celebrating her 13th birthday alone. She has a cake 
Uh, she and her father, Lester Jacobs, a poet, had recently moved to this village from England. They were living in England. Uh, Frank Hallett, played by Martin Sheen, an adult and the son of the landlady, the local kind of bitch in the neighborhood, Cora Hallett, uh, played by Alex Smith, visits unexpectedly, like trick-or-treating, and he finds her alone. And as I said before, listeners, he just immediately pedophiles out. Right? Yeah, he's like this shark. And like he it's yeah. like he discovered that there's this girl who might be alone in a house. And he's like he just shows up like this fucking predator, man. And he even mentions that his two kids are nearby trick-or-treating. Holy shit. Like it's just I mean, again, Martin Sheen probably the furthest thing in in life from this. Uh, you know, it's just the sign of just like a a great acting job. Um, and now it's funny in my research, I read that Martin Sheen originally wanted the Scott Jacoby Mario role. That would be weird. Well, you know, at, like I said, he could, he was probably like 24 at the time he made yeah, this. So yeah. he wasn't that much older than the dude who played, uh, uh Mario. Right. Uh, Scott Jacoby was, was 19 at the time. So yeah, I mean, and look, and back in the day in the seventies and eighties, you had grown-ass people playing adults. So you're right, it, it probably wasn't too much of a stretch. Um, so yeah, he's kind of poking around the house, asking about where the dad is and this and that. And, you know, the interesting thing is throughout this whole movie, uh, Jodie Foster's character, Rin, never never breaks on the fact that dad is in the study, dad is sleeping, dad is, you know what I'm saying? Dad is home, right? He, she's, she's sticking to the story. But uh, listeners, and yes, we're spoiling a movie from 45 years ago. Um, Dad is dead. Uh, the father is dead the whole time. He's been dead. Uh, apparently, uh, the father had a terminal illness and committed suicide by walking out into the ocean nearby. Pretty sick, Mike. That's like a very New England thing to do, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um we find this out a little later, but again, to anyone who comes to visit Rin's home, um, you know, dad's here and he's apparently, he's like this, you know, famous, semi-famous poet. Uh, it's just that he's unavailable right now and this is that, and, and you know, it's just like, whoa, man. You know, uh, we learned that the father gave her these instructions uh, to keep people away from her. Interesting. It's fucked up, man. Like the whole thing of like, like if if you were had a terminal illness, right? And, and I'll say, I'll, I'll take on the role. I have a terminal illness, and I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. The fucking committing suicide is a pretty heavy act, man. Yeah, you know, this like thirteen year old girl, girl leaving her alone in the world like that. Yeah, but he's a poet, and he's obviously a weird dude. So maybe he thought this was some I don't know. I mean, Jesus, like th th there would have been other ways to do yeah, this, but you know. the way. This is the way he chose to do this. <laughs> um, we do learn that the mom was a real piece of work. Uh, her, her birth mother, the parents are, I, I guess, divorced. They're not together. Uh, the mother was a cruel woman. Um, the, he knew that the mother was going to visit at some point, okay, uh, visit the house. And uh, the father, Rin's father, instructed Rin that when the mother got there, the mother was uh, abusive, apparently. Uh, when the mother got there to make her the specific tea 
and to put this specific powder in the tea that will calm her down because the mom is going to be nasty and a bitch and abusive. Well, that specific uh, thing to put in the tea was cyanide. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do the trick, I think. And the dad, see, this was fucked up of you, dad, leaving your 13-year-old alone. You've made your 13-year-old a fucking murderer. Yeah, okay? that, that's the other thing, too. Not enough that you've left her alone in a big house in Maine, okay? You've turned her into a murderer. But here's the thing, Mike. Was it an was it an accident? No, it wasn't. I mean, like, it wasn't an accident that the dad told her to do that. He told her to do that, killing, the, like, basically he told her to kill her without telling her to kill her. I don't think she knew the mother was going to die. She did not know that. I, I think, yeah, he, he manipulated her into killing the yeah. mother. That's what exactly what he did. But the thing is, though, we learn that Rin takes the body and puts it in the fucking cellar. The fact that she's so cool about that, well, is a red flag for Rin. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, um, I mean, unless the mother was so abusive and so horrendous, which she might have been, that, you know, this was, th she was completely cool about this. It's just interesting that she was pretty much fine about what she did, living her life alone with the dead mom and the dead dad. Yeah, she's, she has uh, psychopathic uh, tendencies. You know, she does. Now, could, <laughs> I couldn't have done that at 13. Could no, you have done that at I was, I'm not capable of doing that when I was that age. <laughs> 13, I was, you know, that was like the, the big metal year one kind of for me, man. I, I couldn't be killing nobody. Yeah. I was very into Iron Maiden. I couldn't be doing that, you know. Um, <laughs> watching U68 Power Hour. You know, that was what I was doing literally in the summer of 1986. Um, that is a weird reference, listeners. Only few listeners are going to get that reference. But that's all I'm going to say. I'm not even going to give you guys any more about the U68 Power Hour reference. Um, but, yeah, we um, we learn about, uh, what do you call it, Martin Sheen's mom, the neighborhood bitch, Mrs. Hallett. Uh, Mrs. Hallett goes to the house. She apparently leased the family the house, Mike. That's how they have the house from her. She's like in real estate. A lot of, and you she know. Never, never lets them forget that she owns the house. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're leasing. You don't own the house. Basically like the quintessential like wasp evil New England woman, would you say? Yeah, and she demonstrates... Uh, all the stereotypical things that you would think about as like, uh, you know, waspy, you know, white people who, uh, mm -hmm. you know, she's like, number one, anti-Semite. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's racist, listener, by the way. Uh, her and, and her son are racist. We forgot yeah. that part. <laughs> they, don't, they don't like Italians. They just like good white people. That's it. That's all they want. They're complaining about how many Italians are moving into the area. Yeah. How many are, Jewish people are? There's a lot too many Jews around, like all that yep, stuff. There's a Jewish uh, dig at the Jewish people. There's several digs at Italians. Very interesting. Um, and uh, so she comes to the house. She needs to get these jars that she knows are in the cellar because she knows the house very well. Uh, these jars, I, I forget, for like jam or jelly or something. Um, and, and she's insistent that, you know, she gets them. And Rin is like, no, you're not going down there. This is my house. This is my house. 
The reason why Rin doesn't want to go to go down there is because the mother's dead body is down there. Um, <laughs> uh, we do not see the mother's dead body, Mike. How about that? The whole movie. Yeah, we don't. We know it's, it's there. Yeah, yeah, it's inferred several times. Um, so uh, she goes down there, bitchy Miss Hallett. She she opens up the cellar, which is located literally in the middle of like kind of a living room, dining room area. And we hear her like gasp and howl because she sees the dead body. But then the the, the cellar door slams on her head. Uh, you know, like the, there's this like thick that's holding it up. And, it, you know, Jodie Foster didn't didn't murder this one. You know, this one's not on her. It was kind of an accident. And it bashed her in the head, kind of killing her, basically. So now Jodie Foster's like, oh, shit, there's like two dead bodies down there. <laughs> um, so she has to kind of figure out what she's going to do because she has this beautiful car outside and Jodie Foster trying to break into the car. And she gets to the car. And while she's doing this, uh, a young Mario who's wearing a... Uh, a top a He's got a fucking top hat and a cape on with like a top hat and a cape and riding a bicycle. He he comes upon her and uh, he has a limp. He's he's handicapped. He's clearly several years older than her. Uh, They strike up this friendship, right? Now, let me ask you a question. When you were a kid, all right. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's say for argument's sake that Mario is 16. Okay. All right. Now, in in the adult world that we live in, you know, three years is nothing. You know? Right, but back then, man, when you were sixteen, did, did the, the did the thought of having sex with a thirteen year old girl even cross your mind? Never. I didn't even want to talk to a thirteen year old. That's right. Me too. Boy or girl, like yeah. I didn't want to talk to thirteen year olds. They're like they might as well have been toddlers. Yeah. yeah. And someone three years older was like an old person. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, right? Like. Or they were like the older kids. It was just like, ooh. Or like you were kind of either afraid of them or you hated them. Exactly. Right? Yep. That's exactly right. Or if you had a babysitter, you, if you were a boy, you had a, maybe a crush uh, on someone three years older. But it was more along the lines of either you were afraid of them because they were dicks or you just didn't like them. You just you, you had your crew and your crew were people your exact age, Mike. You didn't, you didn't maybe, maybe uh, one year. One year, yeah. But that was really it, man. Like, I I remember, like, I had a good friend that was a year younger than me, and that was it. Everyone else was exactly my age. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That was what life was like. When when you think about, like, just, like, the senior to freshman, it's basically the senior freshman differential, you know? Right. And it's like, it it, it seemed just, like, worlds apart, man, that, that time change, you know? Oh, yeah. But... Mario is a weird, odd, awkward kind of guy. And Rin is extremely mature as, as and yeah. small and kind of worldly. She's traveled a lot. She's been all over the world with her dad before her dad died. Her dad was a semi-famous poet. Um, she's mentally older than he is, would you say? I would say 100%. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, she's definitely more sophisticated. You know, she speaks Hebrew, you know, with yeah. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, listeners, she's fucking 13 years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he is 16, potentially 17 years old. Um, doing the research, uh, actor Scott Jacoby was 19 at the time. 
But uh, again, I do not think he was playing a 19-year-old because he mentioned uh, high school in, in the uh, movie. So we're going to put him 16, 17 tops, okay? Well, they get closer and closer. Um, and she <laughs> makes him an accomplice to murder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, she is, she's not Miss Innocent. <laughs> she's kind of like a, a dastardly character in a way, Mike, no? Yeah, I mean, she definitely has a, a future in crime, you know. Yeah, like yeah. she's already put all the framework together to be like a master criminal, in my opinion. Yeah, and she's the one. Uh, she proceeds to tell him the whole deal about the dad, which we don't know yet until she tells him. Then she tells him about the mom, and she tells him very, as they say, matter of factly, very calmly and cool, like. There's no crying. There's no, I can't believe I did that. It's There's very, no, very detached, very detached. Yes. So she's kind of made him, she's made him a literal physical murder accomplice, getting rid of the dead body of Miss Hallett. And she's made him an accessory, I guess, as I know in my Miami Vice NYPD Blue, I guess he's an accessory after the fact with uh, the mother. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, that's right. If you've been told by somebody that somebody has murdered somebody and you keep that a secret, I think that's illegal, right? So, so yeah. my uh, you know my knowledge of watching all these cop shows, yes, I, mm -hmm. I think you're right. I believe that yes, that is to be true. Now, he is obviously in love with her. Okay, so he he is kind of he is also unfazed by all of this, Mike. Right? Yeah, and that's the other thing too, man. It's like. <laughs> Wouldn't I mean even at sixteen or seventeen or whatever? Like you know, this isn't like a common thing that would happen. I would immediately be in some sort of panic. I think. Not at all. I mean, Mario, this isn't the only girl in town, Mario. Okay, come on, this is <laughs> get, get with it here. Um, but yeah, they get very very close. They very uh, you know the seasons change. The very cool thing about this movie, um, it's in real time. Uh, it starts on Halloween. And it goes into about maybe mid-November, and you, you see a calendar. Uh, you see it, the, the, it, it snows in May to November. I know that for a fact. And, uh, you know, it, 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 that I thought was actually kind of cool. Did you realize that, Mike? Uh, no, I didn't realize that, actually. Yeah, there's, there's a scene of the calendar. It goes to, like, November 2nd or November 3rd. Um, now, they, they bury Miss Hallett's body uh, in the wintertime in the snow. He gets pneumonia. And this is the scene we, we, we talked about earlier where she, she gives him a bath first, which is, you know, first red flag. Uh, so he's obviously naked in a tub. Again, there's no, there's no male nudity in the movie or anything. Um, but he's really, like, sick as a dog. And uh, he's laying on the couch, and there's a scene where she lays on the couch with him, and they talk about sex. And then this scene kind of goes to black. And again, um, in my opinion, that should have been the quote-unquote sex scene to me, it was very implied at that moment. Because he asks him, have you ever had sex? Doesn't he say something like a million times? It's like, you know, kind of jokingly or whatever. Like, I've, you know, he says that he has, and we know as the viewers of the film that he has not, you know? Yeah, I think we that's all we needed. You know, we didn't need the other, right. uh, and, you know, the, the attempt at uh, exploitation, you know? I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a prude, but I'm just like, 
No. I, I have like rules about certain things. Like if it if it makes sense and it's part of the plot, then go for it. But if it's like obviously like some kind of exploitation, like just for the sake of putting it in there, I'm like, eh, you could have lost that scene. Yeah, totally. Now we kind of didn't talk about the fact that uh, Martin Sheen's character does come back to the house again at some point. And, um, you know, Mario actually kind of uses the cane and kind of fucks him up a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, he calls him a wop. He calls yeah. him a wop, like straight yeah, up. Yeah, and that, yeah. that was just like one bridge too far for uh, for Mario. And he pulled out right, this like right. rapier that he had concealed in his cane. And he yeah. fucking chases off Martin Sheen. And Martin Sheen actually does stay away for a good couple of days, a week or whatever. Uh, until the very night where they hook up, uh, Martin Sheen uh, apparently breaks into the house and hides in the cellar because Mario ends up in the hospital from his pneumonia. That's how fucked up he gets. Uh, after the, the, the quote-unquote sex scene, um, Mario, we learn, is in the hospital. Uh, Rin is back at home, and she hears a noise while she's upstairs, and uh, she sees someone coming out of the cellar when she comes downstairs, and that someone is wearing the top hat and cape. And she's like, oh, Mario, you know, she's all excited. And, you know, of course, it's fucking Martin Sheen in a fucking disguise. That was a creepy scene. It, like a top hat in general is pretty creepy. Yeah. We're anti-top hat here at the Necrobiliacs podcast. <laughs> Unless, unless you're, you know, unless you're uh, fucking King Diamond or something like that. You, you know, you right. you know. Or you played on the first Cradle of Filth record because I do believe uh, one of the original members of the band was the Top Hat. I'm going to give that a pass because I very much like that record. Um, that is where, that's it. Those are the Top Hat passes, people. Um, or if you are the magician in Frosty the Snowman, the 1960s cartoon, that is it. Um, now, uh, this is when, you know, we alluded to it a little bit before. Uh, Frank gives the spiel about how he knows, you know, the, the jig is kind of up with Rin, and he talks about his gross future with her, right, Mike? And yeah. Her and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then Rin does the ultimate gangster move. Uh, she goes into the kitchen and makes tea for her visitor. We know what's going to happen next, kids. When she makes tea... You know, we know she means business. Um, she puts cyanide, obviously, quite a bit of it, in one of the cups to give to Martin Sheen. And she brings, you know, she brings the cups, the cups in and the tray and this and that. And I'm, I don't know if it was like a sleight of hand or whatever. Or I wasn't really paying attention. I did think that the cup that she gave Martin Sheen was the cyanide cup, Right. Yeah, but no, she knew that he would probably do the old "let me taste yours first" routine, which he did. So she actually put the cyanide in her teacup. But as the viewer, you're actually not 100 percent sure, and it's kind of a cool scene, right, Mike? It is, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, definitely a calculated cold killer move. Yeah. She does this. She does like a. It's kind of like a double switcheroo. Yeah, it's like some, <laughs> you know? some fucking James Bond shit that went on. Yes. So as as Frank's going on talking about the gross future and this and that and blah blah blah, uh, she's sitting there. She sips her tea. He sips his tea, 
And he's like, oh, it tastes like almonds. <laughs> and, 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 and apparently that's what uh, cyanide, uh, may I never know this, but apparently that's what cyanide kind of tastes like when you taste it in your mouth. Yeah. Um, and she just kind of kicks back and watches this motherfucker die. And it does that great 70s close-up of her just kind of sitting there and the movie's over and he's dead. And now she's got like a fucking third dead body on her hands. <laughs> but but also, if you think about it, because I was thinking about well, what's now, now what? I mean, but then I thought about it further and I was like, well, she's already set up with um, like she's her, she just lives her life. Like the only people that were suspicious of her were the two people that were dead. Yes. Um, and left a little something out. These things happen, folks. There is a scene where uh, Mort Schulman's character, okay, the, the police officer, Migliori, who is the uncle of Scott Jacoby, Mario, comes into the house and meets the father. But what it really is, is Mario in a, like, mask and makeup. It is kind of a really creepy scene, too. And so what you said, the, the only people who, adults in her life that gave her trouble are dead, the only other adult in her life that was somewhat suspicious of her now thinks that she is, in fact, living with her father, the police officer. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, so really, the secrets are with her and Mario, and Mario's yeah. not telling anybody anything. And Mario's in the hospital. Look, we don't know if he's going to live or die. He could die, right? I'd, I like to think that he lives. I like to think that he lives too, but he he fucking loves her. He's not saying shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He was in the hospital. He he doesn't. He's 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 good. He's you know that secret is safe. But you, she has. You, uh, you know how Italians can keep secrets, so. Oh yes, that's right. Uh, Mike and I are both Italian, so <laughs> please do not send us any. Uh, Messages that say we are racist against Italians. We are Italian. Okay. Now, um, we're allowed to say these things. Now, she has the the father's suicide, the mother's murder that she committed, the accidental murder of Miss Sallett, and the murder she committed of uh, the son, Hallett. <laughs> Quite a body count, man. Exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> For 13, this is a big deal, man. I mean, you know. Uh, another movie that came to mind while watching this movie was the early 90s Macaulay Culkin movie, The Good Son. Ever see that movie? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yep, I could see that, yeah. That's a good movie. Also, I believe, took place uh, in New England. Yeah. Yeah. But, listeners, this is a fucking cool movie. I mean, look, uncomfortable shit happens in this movie. Uh, you can take solace knowing that it is not Jodie Foster's bare back, obviously. Um, and the, the one other bit of uncomfortableness is there's a scene uh, involving a, a gerbil uh, and Martin Sheen where he takes a cigarette and, and burns the gerbil. Apparently, a real gerbil was used in the movie, but for that particular moment in the scene, a dead gerbil was used. Well, look, man, if there's one thing I know about 70s movies, it's that most of them abused animals. So I really, really hope that that was not a real fucking gerbil that was fucking killed in this movie. Well, I, I can't imagine Martin Sheen. So, yeah. I know if uh, Ruggiero Diodato was directing this film, they, they would have definitely killed it on screen. You know? 
Oh my God! If Deodato had directed <laughs> down the lane, not only would we have seen the cigarette go into the gerbil, we would have lit like we, like we wouldn't have been spared a moment of this poor thing's painful death. Yeah, definitely. I yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the movie was not a, like a huge huge hit. Uh, it, it, it did well. It, it actually went on to be, you know, a, a cult film later on. I mean, it got kind of looked at with different eyes as years passed. And believe it or not, this was a PG movie, Mike, when it came out. I believe it, man. It's like there's really no – you don't really see any of the dead bodies. There's no violence. There's just that no. one very brief naked back scene. And uh, and it's the 70s, you know. Like they people were able to handle – stronger material like that back then um of note uh there's this thing called the saturn awards and in the january 1978 saturn awards this won best horror film and jodie foster won best actress how about that you know this also it's funny i think uh you know i watched the, the, the rewatch was done on the shutter version and i don't i think it's pretty much the one that they aired on tv Hmm. Uh, apparently, the, the VHS release of the film removed the nude scene. Ah. Uh, when the DVD came out uh, in in the O's in 2008, it re-added the nude scene. And the Kino Lorber Blu-ray Region A, which came out in 2016, uh, re-added the nude scene. So, Mike, I don't think... <sighs> I feel like Mike. I remember that bare back scene as a kid on TV, man. Yeah. I think I remember that, but the VHS version, it was not there. Interesting. Hmm. Wow. Well, for uh, you guys yeah. out there who have Shutter, it's it's on now, so you can go check it out. Yes, and in well, in 2016, it hit Hulu and Prime. I do not know if it is on Hulu and Prime currently. Shutter may have it exclusively now. Uh, either way, I know a lot of our listeners have Shudder. Uh, definitely make it a point to check this movie out. Um, it's r- really different. I feel like maybe not a lot of people are talking about it because they're not really sure what it is. And I, and I think uh, a lot of Shudder's viewers skew uh, to a degree, maybe you know, a little on the younger side and, and may not, you know, just not be too familiar with this movie. Mike and I kind of grew up seeing this movie on television, so we have a little bit of a different experience with it. Um, but yeah, we definitely recommend seeing this movie, listeners. So, what do you? Uh, what's your grade on this, Mike? Uh, on the necro scale of one to five, this gets a very solid four. You know, I uh, you're not you're not never going to believe this, but that's exactly the rating I have for it. Ah, Mike, there's a reason we co-host together <laughs> a movie podcast that's because right, we man. think alike. Although one day you and I are going to have a Siskel and Ebert blowout and it is going to be on an episode and we're going to air it completely. And I'm looking forward to that day. It's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. Is there, uh, <laughs> is there anything you're looking forward to that's coming out? <sighs> anything I'm looking forward to that's coming out. Okay. I want to watch that. <laughs> I'm so terrible. Um, I did a little day drinking listeners, which I hope has been fun for you guys. Um, What's it's on? It's on Shutter now, or it's on Netflix now. It's that thing. It's like 1994. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, like fear, fear something. Yeah, the three-parter. Yeah. I, I heard some good things about it. Although honestly, 
I feel like I'm going to watch it and I'm going to be like, yeah, this isn't as good as it's hype, but I do want to watch those. Did you check any of those out? I haven't yet. I haven't had the chance to check any of that stuff out. Uh, my buddy said they use like really awesome 1994 music in that first one. So uh, I want to check it out. My buddy Donald, uh, he said he only counted one or two 1995 songs because he's like me. He like he knows these little weird things. He said, but for the most part, it's very uh, on the money. So I want to check that out. Yeah, there's um, tomorrow. I'm actually going to the movie theater. There's oh. uh, yeah, I, I live uh, very close to uh, the Menlo Park Mall, and mm-hmm. there's uh, there's an A and M an AMC uh, like one of those dine in theaters there. Oh, killer! Yeah, so I'm gonna go see a Quiet Place two. Oh, very cool. I I like the Quiet Place. I wasn't as over the moon for it as a lot of people were. I think I just liked it, but I I would see part two. I, I didn't like the first one. And then when I when I heard the second one was coming out, I was like, I'm not going to see that, you know. But then I I heard some stuff about the plot of the second one, mm-hmm. and uh, it piqued my interest. Yeah, I definitely think I will see it, you know. And um, I, I'm so desperate to do things right now that I figured <laughs> I'll, I'll go to a matinee and like hang out at the movie theater. Oh, that's great, man! Yeah, I live very close to the theater too, the UA. And I'm not. I, I got to see what the hell is playing over here. Hopefully, something cool. Um, I'm very tempted to add a, a 47 streaming service, Mike, because I, Shark Week is on Discovery Plus, and I don't have Discovery Plus. And I, I may get Discovery Plus just a little while, for like a month, just to watch some of that content. But if I know me, I'll forget, and then I'll have yet another streaming service like that that gets billed to my goddamn card. <laughs> yeah man it's it's that's how that's how they get you and um i i told you what i do man like i i if i'm gonna add something i take something away i know but i'm, I'm a little iffy on what to take away because yeah, you can always get it back though it's not like you, it, like i have peacock and just when i thought i wasn't digging peacock there i am watching some stuff on peacock they had uh i watched that uh Ghislaine maxwell documentary which was really good actually uh you know and they had a couple of cool serial killer things on there and it's like uh, i don't know like that might be the one to bite the bullet for me um but i guess we'll see i mean shutter stays amazon prime stays netflix is staying uh and my disney plus is staying <laughs> so yeah well i mean that that's the thing and then there's all these other miscellaneous ones i'm, I'm the same way there's like just because you you drop off doesn't mean you can never like get it back. You know, what I mean, all the content's still going to be there. That's true. You know, That's so, true. Like, I, I had Paramount for a while, and mm. um, when I wanted to get the Arrow app, I'm like, okay, what's going to go? So Paramount's gone for for now. I still have the the app downloaded. I just don't have an active account with them. You know what's weird? I really love the show Animal Kingdom. I'm sure some of our listeners watch that show. It's a really cool show. And I don't have cable anymore. All I have is streaming services. Yeah, me neither. And all of my research showed me that I'm totally shit out of luck, that I had to pay this, pay this, pay this. Yet for some reason, I downloaded the TNT app for shits and giggles, right? And sure enough, I watched the season premiere of Animal Kingdom for free. And I'm like, wait, is it just, is this like, is this like a, a, a cruel joke? Is next week I'm going to have to pay? But I guess maybe. If you download the app, they consider you. I mean, maybe that's good enough. 
but I'm not paying for it. I was able to watch the uh, the new episode, so I thought that was cool. Well, well, the Shout TV app is free. Mm. I, I downloaded that fully just to check it out, you know, and I'm like, oh, maybe I, you know, if I get tired of the Arrow app, I'll, I'll sign up for that one, but I'm, I'm able to watch stuff on there for free. You know? I'm going to do that tonight. I totally forgot. You mentioned that to me, and I fucking totally forgot about it. I mean, it doesn't have, like, you know, it's not like you're going to watch all the releases they have but it's like a you know it's pretty cool there's stuff on there to check out mostly like old tv shows and stuff cool i will definitely check it well speaking of old tv shows our buddy rennie Mm -hmm. turned us we were discussing this on the thread about um uh crime story crime story yeah yeah crime story was a great it came out in the wake of Miami vice um you know michael mann related michael mann was Miami vice's producer and it was a weird, it's a cool show. It's, it's, it was kind of slick like Mammy Vice, but it had like this weird 50s sensibility to it. Um, it's a, a different show, very different kind of cool show. It was on in the 80s, listeners. <laughs> and and uh, I, um, I, I bought the uh, complete series uh, DVD collection for $20. I don't know, look at that. Yeah, so wow. It'll show up, I think, on Sunday. I was hoping to have it for the weekend, but, you know, it is what it is. Um. It is also, Mike, Streets of Fire-ish, I would say. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like Streets it's, of Fire. Yeah, it's, it's got its own kind of weird sensibility to it. Um, it. It didn't catch on like Miami Vice did, but I remember my dad really liked it a lot, and I liked it. Uh, we were big Dennis Farina guys in my house. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Farina's awesome, man. It was. Yeah. I mean, rest in peace, you know. Rest in peace. Great actor. Great actor. And yes, I am listeners still trudging along watching uh, Miami Vice and enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. That's it, man. Everyone, yeah. I hope's having a good summer. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll catch you next time. We'll catch you next time. And we'll be continuing our very popular summer horror series next time as well, kids. We have not forgotten. Should we uh, tease what our next episode is going to be about? I think we can. Okay. <laughs> you know, or you can just tell them. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to do the burning. So We're going to do the burning. So we, we've listened to our people. And, uh, yeah, we are going to be doing the burning. Uh, great movie. Uh, yeah. And we will be discussing it next time. That's all I'm saying about it. Great movie. That's so maybe you guys out there, if you're interested, try watching the movie and fucking uh... – Check out the episode, and we'll, we'll all fucking discuss it. All right. We'll see you all next time. Stay cool out there. Take care, guys. Take care.